0: Welcome to episode number eight for Dark Gate Horror Podcast. This is an ode to Halloween. If you're in the U.S. and several other countries around the world, Halloween is an institution in which the history of the day has faded through time and has been replaced with giant blow-up lawn ornaments, packaged candy bars, and department store costumes. I'll try to shed the commercialism and celebrate in my own way, and Halloween holds a special place in my life. In this podcast, I'll discuss a bit about the legend of Halloween and discuss a couple of my favorite fall or Halloween movies. This should be quite short and more personal than my previous podcasts. I can't resist discussing such a topic on a horror podcast. So let's get started. Part 1. The Fascination with Halloween Halloween is my favorite day of the year. I had a Halloween costume party last weekend and we had lots of yummy orange and black food and watched some recent scary movies, The Ring, Final Destination, and Scream. I dressed as Ophelia for the second year in a row, although with totally different people each year. Last year, everyone thought I was the corpse bride since the film had just come out. This year, no one asked, and when I offered, I got a bunch of blank looks. Who's Ophelia? they asked. When I told them she was a character from Shakespeare's Hamlet, they still stared at me blankly. I give up. I'm ditching the complex character references once and for all and sticking with a witch costume next year. I'll never cease to be the weird one. Not that I want to change that. Anyhow, I looked at the group of costumed people including a devil, a witch, a couple of doctors, one was dead, a pirate, and a carpenter. Nothing terribly inventive this year. This year's Halloween party was quite different than last year where I spent in the Castro district in San Francisco. And when I got home, I carved my pumpkin, roasted some pumpkin seeds, and watched Rocky Horror Picture Show, one of my favorite Halloween traditions. At my party, I surrounded us with the symbols of the season—hay bales, barren trees, rickety and cobwebby fences, pumpkins, a scarecrow, and a cackling witch that looked like the girl from The Grudge. It's funny how ingrained we are in the commercialism of the holiday and what our culture tells us is the right thing to do. But why Halloween at this time of year? Why do we celebrate it now? Well, it's from our connection with nature. The Industrial Revolution brought about the end of our intimate relationship with nature. Mother Nature can be a cruel element to deal with, and humans have spent centuries perfecting their worlds to conquer the elements. For the most part we have, and Halloween may be the last connection we have with our evolutionary tie to nature. According to what can be reconstructed of the beliefs of the ancient Celts, the bright half of the year ended around November 1st, or on a moon phase near that date, a day referred to in modern Gaelic as Samhain meaning the end of summer. After the adoption of the Roman calendar with its fixed months, the day began to be celebrated independently of the moon's phases. As October 31st is the last day of the bright half of the year, the next day also meant the beginning of winter, which the Celts often associated with human death and the slaughter of the livestock to provide meat for the coming winter. The Celts also believed that on October 31st, the boundary separating the dead from the living became blurred. There is a rich and unusual myth system at work here. The spirit world, the residence of the, quote, Sid, as well as of the dead, was accessible through burial mounds. These mounds opened at two times during the year, Samhain and Beltane, which is May Day, marking the beginning and end of summer highly spiritually resident. The exact customs observed in each Celtic region differ, but they generally involve the lighting of bonfires and the reinforcement of boundaries across which malicious spirits may be prevented from crossing and threatening the community. There's also a connection with the supernatural world. Many European cultural traditions hold that Halloween is one of the liminal times of the year when the spiritual world can make contact with the physical world and when magic is most potent. Neo-pagans of North America honor their ancestors on October 31st. It was once believed that on this night any souls who had not yet passed into the paradise of the Summerlands might return to wander the streets and visit their old homes once more. For me, Halloween is about the creepiness and scariness in addition to my connection with nature. It is why I watch horror films in the first place, the scarier the better. I think this is the key reason I love Halloween. There's nothing better than being placed in a position in which you are not sure you are alone or in control of your surroundings. The adrenaline shoots through your veins and your heart starts to pump. It is not the reason you love horror? For the scares? Too often the scariness factor is lacking in horror films, and I am left wishing filmmakers had done something different. Good premise, bad execution. I've seen far too many of these films in the last few years, such as Cabin Fever and Jeepers Creepers. I go in wanting to be scared and thrilled. The only ones that passed the test in the last couple years have been Saw and The Ring, in my opinion. I'm sure I'll talk about these in a later show, but let's move on to part two, which are my fall or Halloween movie reviews. I have several films that I watch every fall almost like clockwork. There's something enticing about fall, the changing colors of the leaves and watching them fall, the cycle of life from life into death only to be reborn in the spring. There is something magical and mystical about fall, and movies play a large role in my life. I like to watch certain films at certain times of year. I always have. The fall films that I love are The Blair Witch Project and Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, and also The Village. Of course, many other films remind me of fall, but these tend to be some of my most often viewed ones. Since I'll be talking about Shyamalan soon, I'll rain-check my discussion on The Village and discuss the other two. The first... The Blair Witch Project from 1999. I'm sure you are familiar with this, but let me just go through a quick synopsis. Film students Heather Donahue, Michael Williams, and Joshua Leonard go missing in October 1994 while making a documentary about the Blair Witch, a legendary creature believed to haunt the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland. A year later, although their bodies are never found, the footage the students shot had been recovered and the film in its entirety is composed of fragments of that footage. It's shot in a mixture of black and white and color with shaky handheld camera movements and only natural lighting. The footage includes material that was intended to be used in the documentary, but the bulk of the film shows the experience of the three students as they wander through the woods. Occasionally, the view switches to a kind of mood footage, which is footage of no characters, just video of the environment, with the audio track continuing. Soon after they set out, they become hopelessly lost. Their situation worsens when Michael, in frustration, throws their only map of the area into the river without telling the others. Over a period of several days, a number of terrifying, unnerving, and possibly supernatural events occur. In one scene, the crew hikes for more than a half a day, only to end up in the exact same spot where they started. It is implied that all three students die, and there is some internal evidence within the film as to how and why, but much of the plot is left open to the viewer's interpretation, including the finale. Few concrete indications are given as to the eventual fate of the three filmmakers. The concept of the Blair Witch was first conceived in 1993 by the filmmakers who desired to create a movie where characters are lost in the woods. The script began with a 35-page outline with no dialogue, as that was intended to be improvised. Accordingly, the directors auditioned actors with strong improvisational skills. In developing the mythology behind the movie, the filmmakers used many inspirations— Several character names are anagrams. Ellie Kedward, the Blair Witch, is Edward Kelly, a medieval mystic. Rustin Parr, the fictional 1940s child murderer, began as an anagram for Rasputin. In talks with investors, they presented an eight-minute documentary presenting the Blair Witch legend as though it was real, along with newspapers and news footage. Filming began in October 1997 and went on for eight days. Most of the movie was filmed in Seneca Creek in Montgomery County, Maryland, although a few scenes were filmed in the real town of Burkittsville. Many of the townspeople interviewed in the film are not actors, and some claim to have heard about the Blair Witch even though the story is fictitious. Donahue had never operated a camera before and spent two days in a crash course, but her newness with camera control may have influenced the film's shakiness. During filming, the actors were given clues as to their next location, although messages given in milk crates found with GPS satellites. They were given individual instructions that they would help improvise the action of the day. For the revelation of the human remains in the film, teeth were obtained from a Maryland dentist. Influenced by producer Greg Hale's memories of his military training, in which enemy soldiers hunted trainee through wild terrain for three days, the directors used the strategy of moving them far during the day harassing them by night and depriving them of food. Almost 19 hours of usable footage was recorded, which had to be edited down to 90 minutes, and post-production took more than eight months. Originally, it was hoped that the movie would make it into cable television, but the filmmakers did not anticipate wide release. The initial investment by the three Central Florida filmmakers was about $35,000. Artisan acquired the film for $1.1 million and spent $25 million to market it. The release of the film on July thirtieth, 1999 came after months of publicity, including a groundbreaking campaign by the studio to use the internet and suggest that the film was a real event. It was very positively received. Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 84%. And I loved it. I don't know how many times I've seen it now. There was just something real and very unnerving about it. It took me a couple of days to really put all the clues together and really get the ending, and everybody kind of has their own take on it, and I won't really go there. So then there was a sequel that came out. It was a year later, I believe. I absolutely hated it. (laughs) I did not have high expectations, because this kind of film cannot be easily duplicated. Um, But this film was confusing and lacked the suspense of the first film. I don't know anyone who liked it, and the critics agreed, since it currently stands at 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. So let's talk about some box office numbers. It grossed over $160 million in the U.S. and totaled $248 million worldwide, making it the most successful independent film ever up to that point, although this record was broken on October 2002 with Nia Vardalos's My Big Fat Greek Wedding. The film was featured in the Guinness Book of World Records as having the highest profit-to-cost ratio of a motion picture ever, making back over $10,000 for every dollar spent. That's just amazing. So let's move on to Sleepy Hollow, which, incidentally, just opened a few months after Blair Witch. And let's talk about a brief synopsis on this one. Um, Fewer people that I've talked to have seen this one than Blair Witch. In 1799, young constable Ichabod Crane, played by Johnny Depp, is sent from New York City to the fledgling settlement of Sleepy Hollow in upstate New York to investigate a series of bizarre murders. On Ichabod's arrival, Baltus Van Tassel, played by Michael Gambon, and town council inform him that the three victims were killed on open ground and their heads are believed to have been taken by a headless ghost. Ichabod is unconvinced of this, and learns more about the ghostly horseman. It is the ghost of a Hessian played by Christopher Walken, sent by the British during the Revolutionary War, was decapitated by his own sword. When Ichabod sees the ghost kill one of the town council members, his skepticism evaporates. He soon discovers that the horseman's ghost has an unholy connection to Baltus van Tessel, whose daughter Katrina, played by R- Christina Ricci, Ichabod is falling in love with. Finally, a boy named Masbeth, played by Mark Pickering, helps Ichabod solve the mystery after his father is killed by the horseman and becomes a friend to Ichabod and Katrina. As the film goes on, it is revealed that the horseman is being controlled and summoned to commit the murders. At first, Ichabod is convinced it's Katrina's work and is also convinced that she is trying to curse him. However, Lady Van Tassel, played by Miranda Richardson, the supposedly murdered stepmother of Katrina, actually stole the horseman's head and is using it to control him. Lady Van Tassel summons the horseman to get a revenge upon the landlords who evicted her family, and she later summons him again to gain an inheritance. Ichabod rescues Katrina and returns the head to the horseman, after which it is restored from its rotten state. The horseman then goes back to hell, taking Van Tassel with him. Ichabod, Ichabod, Katrina, and young Masbeth return to New York. So let me just read a review that I think summarizes this a lot better than I can called Sleepy Hollow, Burton Goes Bump in the Night. It's by Paul Clinton at CNN, November 19th, 1999. Director Tim Burton, united once again with his muse, actor Johnny Depp, has created another off-center character living in a strange, altered existence. Their first collaboration was Edward Scissorhands in 1990, and their second was Ed Wood in 1994. These two artists love to explore the bizarre. Both men seem to revel in their status as Hollywood outsiders and consider themselves film-making rebels. They're at it again with their new film Sleepy Hollow. Depp stars as Ichabod Crane in the spooky, loose adaptation of Washington Irving's classic tale The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. In some ways, this film works as an homage to the cheesy horror films produced by Hammer Films in England in the 1950s and 60s, as in the past Burton has populated a set with wonderful character actors. They have terrific cinematic faces and play people who live in an alternative universe that Burton generates by using splendid production design. The year is 1799. Depp plays Crane not as the original story's schoolteacher, but as an inventive and fussy New York City constable with an avant-garde approach to solving crimes. He insists on performing autopsies and other procedures that are, in the day, controversially modern. Crane is sent to the hamlet of Sleepy Hollow to investigate three murders in which the victims were decapitated, and the heads are missing. Upon his arrival, Crane tries to debunk the town's myth of the headless horseman, but he's soon convinced there's more than meets the eye, especially an eye-catching young lass, Katrina Van Tassel, played fetchingly by Christina Ricci. Crane is transformed from sniveling coward, Depp describes his character as Ichabod Crane girl detective, to local hero. He tracks down and faces up to the source of the Horseman legends. The Horseman, when in possession of his head, is portrayed by one of the best boogeymen to grace the silver screen, Christopher Walken. This gothic 18th century tale is a perfect showcase for Burton's strange sensibilities. Shot in monochromatic tones with splashes of bright red, Sleepy Hollow is a visual delight. Burton's special brand of the macabre inhabits every frame. Once again, Burton turns to longtime collaborators to achieve his unique cinematic look. The period costumes of sweeping capes and rich textures are by Colleen Atwood. She has worked with Burton on four of his past films. The spectacular production design is Rick Henricks. He worked with Burton in 1993 as visual consultant on The Nightmare Before Christmas. This reportedly $80 million movie is gleefully creepy, with a marvelous screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven in 1994. A subplot exploring Crane's childhood and the murder of his mother seems unnecessary and is the only weak point in this otherwise delightful witchy film. Maybe this subplot is just an excuse to include Burton's girlfriend, Lisa Marie, in the film. She plays Crane's mother and also appeared in Mars Attacks in 1996 as Martian Girl and in Ed Wood as Vampira. So that's the end of that article, I thought it was just fantastic. The nature of the film medium allows several men to play the horsemen and film offers artists a wide range of possibilities and tricks which many directors do not bother to investigate. Some viewers marveled at Blair Witch's ability to create atmosphere with some very ordinary looking woods. The choice to use a real location is effective in that particular film. Sleepy Hollow reminds us that movie magic that professionals can produce with extraordinary looking woods built in a studio. There is great pleasure to be had from cameras craning over and around these impossible trees and tracking furiously along with horses as they gallop through the woods. The fog is forever hugging the ground, or visibly extinguishing torches and the lighting always cracks on cue. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 72%. As far as box office numbers, it was an estimated $65 million budget. It opened on November twenty-first, 1999 with $30 million in the U.S. Worldwide, it has grossed over $206 million in theater admissions. It's difficult to compare the two films because they really are so very different, but they both deal with some of the same kind of human accomplishing over nature and some supernatural elements and so forth, so I like to compare the two, but really there isn't much to compare. One is very designed, visual, beautiful, and, you know, filmed on a soundstage, and every tree branch is just right, where the other, it's all natural. They just went out to the woods and filmed it. So people generally love or hate Blair Witch. Some people had problems with motion sickness from some of the camera work, some just didn't get it, some thought it was just too scary... I've talked to people with opinions on both sides of the fence. I personally went to see it by myself in the theater, walked through a dark parking lot to get to my car, and then I went to a costume party at college. I was in college at the time. And I didn't have any problem, but I'm not easily spooked. Some other people didn't fare so well, had to leave during the film. It's just interesting to see on both sides of that. As far as Sleepy Hollow, people generally said, oh, it was good, or I didn't even see it. I didn't really see any strong opinions on that one. But personally, I love Washington Irving, and I thought this was a great adaptation. I think I actually like the film better than I did the short story, which is not usual in my case. But I think if you haven't seen one of these two films, you really should go out and experience it and... Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear some opinions on the films. So, the song of the night tonight is called Scared. It's by Alison Crow. I hope you like it. That's it for tonight. Thanks for listening and have a happy Halloween. The next episode will be the first in the director series covering the films of M. Night Shyamalan. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. You can email me at darkgatehorror at gmail.com and don't forget to visit my website at darkgatehorror.blogspot.com.